The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode number 620 for Sunday, August 28th, 2016. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your questions, tips, and cool stuff found. We attempt to answer your questions and share your tips and cool stuff found with the goal being we all learn at least four new things each and every time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include Fat Cat Software at fatcatsoftware.com slash MGG, makers of Power Photos, where coupon code MGG saves you 20% off of Power Photos. We will talk more about that shortly here. Here! In Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. How are you today, Mr. F. Braun? Uh, I've uh, got some toys on the way. So that'll be fun. Okay, cool. I always like it when I... Uh, you know, USPS has actually uh, uh, really improved their service. Um, used to, You can sign up with FedEx and UPS to get heads-up notifications, and then when they see something headed for your address you'll start getting usps was never really good at that but they've actually gotten a lot better as of late you can actually go sign up yeah it's uh my.usps.com right yeah 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 like i I just start getting um so both the people i ordered from uh two different products both used usps and i actually got a text message you know it said yep it's in the mail stream it's coming i'm like wow it's really cool. Yeah, it, I, I, I do. I like that for all three of those, FedEx, UPS, and, and uh, USPS. They, my, my, I have two issues with my USPS. Number one is that it does not work if you have a post office box. So there is no way to add a post office box to your my USPS account. So you can't see when things are coming in. And frankly, that's where it would be the most handy to know, hey, a package got delivered to your post office box. So you need to deal with mm. that. Right. Um, And then number two is they are insanely obsessive about the frequency at which they send emails. Anytime there is a minor change in uh, in the the, you know, the progress of your package, it would be nice to get a daily digest, which is what you UPS does that. Right. They give me a daily digest and then I only get emails for delivery. Um, or exceptions or something like real time only happens for exceptions, but otherwise, yeah, I think, I think chatty Kathy was involved in, um, yeah, the USPS design. That's right. <laughs> Cause That's it, right. It, it tends to tell you a lot of stuff that isn't really that important. It's just not that important. Like, Oh, we moved it from this side of the post office counter to that side of the post office counter. And we've logged this. It's like, wow, maybe that's not the most efficient thing to waste your time logging. But, uh, but anyway, yeah. John, I have something for you. Get out. It's time for a deep, deep, deep dive. That's right. Today, and that's courtesy of Ezra. Thank you, Ezra. Uh, That was cool. Yeah. Today is deep dive time for backups, John, because, uh, well, because A, it's time for another deep dive. And B, uh, I'm actually traveling. We're recording this a little bit early. And I'm today I am in... uh, uh, the San Francisco Bay area playing a couple of gigs with Paul Kent at the good guys national car show. And then uh, uh, I'm actually stopping in New York city on the way home 
on Tuesday, there is a big Sonos announcement slash meeting um, happening in New York that I'm going to attend. And I, I, I have no further information than that. So, um, so that should be interesting. But then, I'll, then I'm back on Wednesday. So. so we're recording a deep dive today, John. Yes, we are. About backups. But you know where we should probably start? What's that? Um, we should probably start talking a bit about the underlying technology here before we talk about a backup, because I don't want to assume that people okay. know the terminology here. Okay. So before we even talk about backups, I think we want to talk about the types of storage that are available and maybe offer some tips or reflections or I don't know, but take it, take it away, man. Yeah. So. You're probably your primary storage in your <clears throat> Mac PC, whatever, is probably a hard drive of some sort. Uh, and to go back on the history of that, the uh, first types, and they're still very popular, uh, Apple now calls, and most people call them rotational hard drives. Um, so they all store a certain amount of data. Um, a rotational hard drive actually has a magnetic. So it has a platter in it and can be made of metal or actually I found, I was kind of surprised, glass as well. And it's covered with a magnetic uh, coating and then it has heads that can read or write, encode or decode uh, data stored magnetically. Um, and the, the platter spins at a certain rate uh, and there may be multiple platters and then there's an interface uh, usually called SATA from that drive. Uh, and you can see a lot of this uh, on the Mac if you go to About This Mac and then there's a storage tab. It'll tell you the capacity of your drive, the type of drive, uh, and the interface that's connected to. So like right now, I'm looking and I see that on my Mac Mini, I have a 240 gigabyte solid straight SATA drive. I haven't talked about that yet, but I will shortly. Um, so rotational are still popular. They're still, I, I would argue, give you the most bang for the buck um, as far as you know, cost per uh, terabyte now. Sure. We're yeah. getting to. Um but there's something better. So, so there's nothing wrong with rotational drives. Um, and, and, you know, the uh, Apple and everybody still sells them and they're still making breakthroughs. I think the largest that I've heard reported right now, Dave, I think is eight terabytes. Somebody came out with an eight terabyte. Wow. It's crazy. I've got some fives in one of my uh, Synology disk stations here. But, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, it's just going to keep getting bigger. All right, so I think we covered the terminology of that. So that, in in all likelihood, is what uh, most people have that in at least one of their machines, or sure. you had it. Sure. Um, then the latest thing, the cool thing, so then somebody came up with the brilliant idea, you know what, there's this thing that's faster, the, because the, there are limitations as far as how fast something can happen in a rotational drive. It's just the technology. Then someone said, well, hey, what if I make memory chips look like a drive? And that's called an SSD, or solid-state drive. Sure. Um, and that uses memory, which is faster. So you, so you get a benefit of, yeah, it uses memory chips instead of a platter to uh, store the data. Uh, the, the benefit of that is that it's way faster. Uh, not only, uh, you know, throughput uh, megabytes per second, but also what we're going to call latency um, is that the time between events is much shorter in an SSD. So you're going to... Because there's no moving parts. Faster. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's another type. A third type, which actually is part of my backup strategy here, and I'll mention this, um, and it still you know, has its uses. Um, I'm going to call it a flash drive. 
And it's different from an SSD in that it uses memory that can be written to and read from, but it's a different type of memory. It's, they're typically not as fast as SSD memory, but it's the same concept. So it's memory. You can write to it, read from it. Um, and an SSD would be, uh, would come in, it would be dealt with similar to a rotational hard drive in that it would either be plugged in into you know, via a USB enclosure or it would be baked inside your computer, whereas flash storage is your USB thumb drive for lack of, um, well, it's, I mean, that's probably the, that's certainly the most common use of flash storage and probably, uh, I can't even think of another use of flash storage these days. Yep. Um, so those are the three that you're probably going to be plugging into your, uh, computer, uh, at some level, either through USB or firewire or whatever type of port you have there, or it's going to be, uh, uh, connected internally. Um, then we have some other things that have uh, come up as of late. Um, well, one is not really as of late, um, uh, but we're going to call it a network attached storage. And this is uh, pretty much a staple in any corporation where everybody needs to store their stuff centrally and you have to access it over a network. Um, it being available for regular people. Um, yeah. I don't know if it's a fairly new thing, but the thing is you can get, uh, and the difference from it is that you access it over your, typically your, your, uh, your network versus a physical connection. Um, and network attached storage can be, when we talk about it here, we're often talking about units that have multiple drives in them and sort of aggregate the uh, combined storage of all those drives into one logical volume or one one logical store that's available on the network but it doesn't have to be that way there are plenty of network attached storage devices that are single drive and and simply are ne and, but are also network attached storage there's no there's no reason that a single drive solution can't be there's may there may be some reasons we'll get into them why you might not want them to be uh depending on on your use case but it can be one or multiple drives and that's true of of really any of the things you can connect multiple drives as one uh, multiple rotational drives as one in an enclosure like a Drobo. Uh, and the same goes with SSDs. So um, any of these can be that way. Right. And, and the, uh, and the last thing which kind of ties into NAS is uh, what everybody now is calling the cloud. And that's basically a NAS that you don't necessarily have physical access to. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, network network attached storage, but not on not generally not on your network. I mean, there's private cloud that sort of ties it all together. But but when we're talking about things like Google Drive or Dropbox or iCloud, that's all uh, network attached storage, uh, but wide area network attached storage storage you don't manage. Crash plan fits into that, too. Right. And so right. does Backblaze. The, 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 the cloud is this very general term. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty much, pretty much a background into the uh, different technologies that we're going to talk about here. Okay, cool. Uh, I guess next we can move to, uh, all right, so there's a technology for storing your data or re retrieving your data. Um, here's the bad news, though. <clears throat> the world being chaotic as it is, um, none of these things last forever. And the data that you store could, you could lose it. And there's a number of reasons. One is just that the devices themselves uh, all have an advertised uh, 
uh, typically, if you look on the data sheet for any of them, they typically have a, a thing they'll call mean time between failures, which is basically, we'll guarantee that you'll get this many hours out of this thing before it, it rolls over and dies. <laughs> and you can't access your, your stuff anymore. Um, and it just happens. It happens to rotational drives. It happens to SSDs, uh, flash drives. The, the memory device is typically what they happen. They don't, they don't typically just die, but they, uh, they'll probably reach a limit as to the number of times you can write to the memory cells, at which point they'll just say, well, you know, I'm, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Um, Whereas rotational drives I've seen, when they fail, they typically fail in a uh, slow but eventually point where, where you can't even communicate with it anymore. Sure. Yeah, drives will fail. I think. I mean, I think that's a uh, deep dive, as deep, be, be it as it may that we're doing a deep dive here. I don't think we need to necessarily go too deep into the ancillary stuff. We should leave time for the backups. But, uh, but your drives will fail. And you can, for various reasons, right? Right. Uh, now, there's some other reasons you may lose data. Um, one could be malware. Um, somebody writes software that uh, wants to erase your data because they're a jerk. Yep. Um, operate, uh, what I'm going to call operator error, <laughs> which is basically uh, uh, the user of the machine inadvertently deleted something when they didn't mean to. It happens. Yep. happens yeah. to all of us. It so does. That's another reason you want to do a backup. And then another thing I'm going to throw into the equation here, and this is thinking long-term here, is that some of your data, you may not necessarily lose it in that it disappears, but you may want to always keep in mind that when you're doing a backup or storing your stuff, you may want to think about the format that you use. What am I talking about here? Um, what I'm talking about is, hey, Dave, I got this uh, WordStar file for you. you. You ready for it? Nope. <laughs> Actually, I might be. I'll throw in, uh, what is it, zamzar.com um, that might convert your WordPress file to Word. I, I think that's what I used the last time. But, but you're, I mean, your point is valid. Like, th there's a panic moment when you come across even an old AppleWorks file. It's like, oh, uh, what do I use to read that now? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. whenever you're storing something, especially for long-term archival or something, uh, give some thought to the format that you store it in. And this can apply to pictures, you know, same thing. Uh, though I don't think, you know, those formats disappear as quickly. But, um, you know, try to choose something standard like JPEG versus, uh, you know, maybe RAW. RAW could, can get kind of proprietary if you don't have the right, uh, yeah, and, and for right software to process it. Right? And for so, documents... Um, PDF is, I feel like a safe bet. I mean, it's hard to, it's yep. hard to know where we're going to be in, you know, this data might be valuable to someone, if not you in 50 years. Right. So one thing that will be valuable is text. Uh, that's almost always going to be usable, but it lacks a lot of formatting. I feel like we'll have PDF readers for a long, long, long time, because there's so much stored in PDF now. Uh, but, you know, Word, probably readable in 50 years. Uh, you know, beyond that, it, I don't know. It's hard to say, right? So, yeah. yeah. And I agree with you on JPEG and, and that sort of thing, too. Yeah, that's good. Now, the thing is, you may be able... We're getting to the backup things too, but I just want to mention this one other thing here. Sure. There is 
tools that you can use to predict when a device is about to fail and, and not let you have your data anymore. Uh, I'm going to mention a few here. Um, and I think this applies to almost all uh, rotational and SSDs. Um, but there's something called SMART. Now, SMART is two things. So one, SMART is a mechanism, system monitoring and reporting technology, I think it stands for. But it's basically, uh, it, it's both an up-down uh, is this device working or is it not working prop properly? But it's also a bunch of parameters. So the thing is, I found that the the, the smart thumbs up, thumbs down mechanism. Uh, typically, I've I've never seen it report a failure before it fails. Um, however, there are some tools that do uh, smart. Ha! No, uh, read what we're going to call the parameters. So there's a lot of low-level things. You know, the drive reports, you know, if I you know, couldn't read something, I couldn't write something, there's an I.O. error, there's some other bad thing happening. Uh, and there are utilities that'll see various messages and give you a heads up saying, hey, you know, this drive looked like it's on its way out. You may want to do something about it. Um, Smart Reporter is one that I've used. Drive DX is another one that we've, we've used. And uh, Smart Utility is another one that uh, I'm aware of. So... Um, yeah, no, it's good. Want to mention those? And there's um and and Drive Pulse from Drive Genius. If you've got that installed, is will do some smart monitoring too, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Cool. So, you want to drive a bit here? Or, uh, sure. Um, are we oh, got some I, questions I, that are maybe appropriate at a certain time here? Right. Uh. Yeah, I I feel like we should get into some of the backup stuff uh, because yep. I don't think the questions are all that. Uh, the questions will be better better framed in, inside the the context of of backups. Um, so let's talk. We're, we're talking about software here. So so let's talk about let's talk about the types of backups. I think that's a that's a good place to go, and then we'll talk about the the software that'll get us there. Um, when you're you, you can. If you want to back up a specific file, you can save it. Just copy it, drag it in the finder, right? To another piece of, of media. And it could be a cloud backup, right? If you put a file on your Dropbox, that's effectively backed up. And actually that's not a terrible backup, right? Because Dropbox, even if you delete something, it stores it even with free accounts for 30 days. And I think with paid accounts for unlimited time, right? So uh, that's one kind of backup. The, the sort of the other end of that is, taking a entire snapshot of your entire disk and, uh, and saving that somewhere. Let's dig in a little bit, right? That I'll call a full backup, but there's two types of full backups in my world. There is the full backup. That is a clone where you literally take the copy of the drive or the drive and make a copy on another drive, Right. And this is generally one piece of media that could be used as a replacement for your drive. So a drop-in replacement cloned uh, as of, you know, whatever point in time you run the clone. Software that would work for that, Carbon Copy Cloner and Super Duper are the two we mention on this show all the time. And uh, and both work very, very well. They're, they're both a little bit different. Uh, and might serve your purposes a little bit differently uh, for other means. But in terms of clones, that's what they do. And uh, these days I'm a, I'm a carbon copy cloner user. Uh, 
that only happened because I guess scheduled backups weren't working or scheduled clones weren't working in super duper, which is what I used for years for a while. And I wound up switching over to carbon copy cloner and, uh, and have not gone back. Although I know there's some good stuff coming in in a new version of super duper. So it's, it's good to have, it's a, it's a viable market. There's some competition out there and it's good stuff. Uh, the nice part about that, as I said, is if disaster strikes, all you have to do is grab that clone, plug it into your Mac or another Mac, and up you are with your data. But generally, and Carbon Copy Cloner sort of uh, mitigates this somewhat, but generally a clone is just that, a clone. It doesn't have any revision uh, protection. Carbon Copy Cloner does have a little bit of that. Actually, it can have quite a bit of that. But um, that's not your... I, I wouldn't treat a clone as my only backup, although it's not a bad one to have. Uh, I wouldn't treat anything as my only backup. So another type of mostly full backup is something like Time Machine. Time Machine actually is not a full backup. It's not backing up your system software. It's just backing up your applications and your settings and all of that. And it's not bootable. It's not meant to be bootable. It's meant to be restored to a Mac that's already up and running. Uh, it could be a Mac that has a fresh OS on it, uh, and that's actually how it's really built to be done. But it can be restored to just about anything. You just connect it, and you can restore your data. The nice part about Time Machine is, as the name implies, it lets you dig deep into uh, your, your archives. In fact, it will, it will retain data for years if it's working properly. That's another full backup. Uh, data backup from ProSoft does another type of full backup where it's doing the same type of thing, taking your back, taking your data and cloning it off onto, uh, or not cloning it, but, but copying it and maintaining revisions of, uh, of your data. And you can save these backups anywhere. You can save them to direct attached drives. You can save them to network attached drives. I suppose you could even, it could be argued, you could even save them to, to cloud attached drives, although that, that starts getting a little more difficult with, with Time Machine and Data Backup. There's other, other software like CrashPlan and Backplays that are, are better for that. We'll talk about that in a minute here. Thoughts on, uh, on clones and full backups, John, before we move on? Um, I did want to add something that uh, you, may, you may want to consider for, for a backup, and, the, and that's dealing with large files. And I actually had to do this, so I just wanted to share this. Yeah. Is, uh, one thing to keep in mind, so especially when you do an initial backup, typically what's going to happen, it's going to back up everything unless you uh, explicitly exclude it. And that's a good thing. And that, that takes a while. So, you know, uh, you may want to use it as an exercise, you know, if you uh, know the network bandwidth or the speed of the bus or something and you know how much data, you could, you could calculate. And the OS tries to do this. It <laughs> Computers trying to predict how long it'll take to do something uh, I've seen is, is still kind of a black art. Yeah. And then yeah. I see progress bars jump yeah. all over the place when they try to predict. Or like even Time Machine, I've had it say, well, I think it's going to take uh, 20 hours up. Oh, it'll take two hours up, oh, 30 minutes. It's like, okay. Right. Um, but the thing is, um, I actually ran into this recently, Dave. Uh, what you can do with a lot of these solutions is actually exclude certain files from being backed up continuously. Uh, probably because they take so long. But uh, what some vendors do is they'll design their product. So I ran into this in that it was taken forever to back up my uh, Parallels disk images. Parallels is a program that lets you run a virtual PC. And uh, the uh, size of, of the uh, hard drive, uh, it actually you know stores it in a, in a big file. And the thing is, 
unless you tell it to do this, it'll anytime that file changes and and a backup solution sees it, it's like up oh, the whole file has changed. I'm going to back up all 80 gigabytes for you, or however large you made it. And that'll take a long time. That's a pain in the neck. Um, there's a setting that I, I stumbled across and now it's all better, that'll break that file up into two gig chunks. So mm. if something changes, rather than backing up 80 gigabytes, it only backs up two gigabytes, which takes obviously a lot less time. So keep that in mind. If, uh, if you notice that your backup is taking longer than you'd like, um, this, this is a, a way to deal with that. I thought that I'd have the same problem day with photos, but photos tends to... Uh, it, time machine at least tends to be smart enough to say, Oh, I'm not going to back up your entire photos library. Cause in my case, it's like, you know, a hundred gigs. <laughs> right. Right. Well, yeah, because your photos library is not just one big chunk. It's lots of little, it's a folder, right? It just, the OS 10 obscures that from you. Um, but yeah, no, that that's totally right. All right. Let's, um, I think let's, let's talk about some backup strategies and let's, let's share some, uh, from our listeners and then, and then let's, and then we'll, uh, you know, and then we'll divulge our backup strategies here, John. So, uh, listener, Bob writes, says, uh, I use crashplan.com and, or I use crashplan, which is at crashplan.com. He says, I back up my wife's and my Mac laptops to a home Mac mini with external storage using crashplan. I also back up my mom's iMac 300 miles away via crashplan. Uh, so this is, th- th- this is interesting. I want to kind of dissect through this. Well, we'll, we'll read his strategy and then, and then we'll dissect through it. it says I use super duper, uh, mom's iMac is locally backed up via super duper to an external USB drive at her house. My work iMac is backed up via super duper in the same way. Uh, carbon copy cloner is used on my MacBook pro to my work iMac each day. Car- carbon copy clone has a carbon copy cloner has a network backup option. So I use that and then time machine. I also use my work. iMac is time machine backed up. My Mac mini, just the boot drive is time machine backed up. And my mom's iMac is time machine backed up locally at her location. Anytime there is a major OS upgrade, a separate bootable clone, either with carbon copy cloner or super duper is created just before the upgrade is applied. All right. So Bob, that's actually a pretty, um, there's a lot to talk about here going, uh, uh, skipping crash plan for the moment because I want to come back to that, but uh, it's interesting that he's using super duper and carbon copy cloner uh, in different ways. It, it seems like he prefers super duper for the local clones and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, just kind of intuiting that from, from his, his statements here, but he's right that as I mentioned before, carbon copy cloner has a, a few different options. And one of them is the uh, easy ability to back up to a disc image across the network and uh and that can be and you don't have to back up to a disk image in fact you could just back up files and have it copy them across uh but uh but yeah that's very interesting bob uh that that you're doing your macbook pro you're backing up not to it, it, it this is interesting because laptops are inherently problematic for local backups because you don't generally leave them plugged into say a USB drive long enough just for a backup. If there's other reasons you need to plug a USB drive in great, but otherwise you probably aren't going to do it. So it's really valuable to think about how else you can back up and doing it 
you know, wirelessly so that you're sure that these backups happen. And, and the same thing was true when I set up my dad recently, it was like, Whoa, wait a minute. I want him backing up, but he's got a MacBook pro. So it has to be over the network. And, and Bob has solved that problem with carbon copy cloner and just having it back up to his iMac each day uh, to it, to a disc image. I presume uh, that would be the, the, the most sane thing to manage when you're backing up that many files and, and that kind of folder structure. But uh, yeah, very cool. Any thoughts on that before we go to what Bob is doing with crash plan? Because I think a lot of people can benefit from this. Uh, I'm going to give a, a over uh, my comment on the strategy, what I like here. And um, you, you may mention this. I was, I was off in space somewhere for a moment, but um, it happens. Um, what I like here. And uh, so one thing I think you, you and I both promote Dave is you should have not, just a single backup unless you are so strapped that you don't have any extra drives or sure. money for a cloud service or something like that. But do whatever you can to have more than one backup. And uh, so a few of the themes, one theme that I want to mention here is have more than one backup. So for example, in my case, I'm not going to go into my entire strategy, but for example, I do both carbon copy cloner and time machine as does Bob. So that's great. Don't have what we're going to call a single point of failure because having just one backup um, in the same location as the data that it was made from is probably the worst. You might yeah. as well not even be making a backup. What, what, I'm, what I'm suggesting is that you want to have uh, more than one backup. If you can at all possible, have it in different locations, which Bob is well, doing they, that let, also. So he's, okay. Yeah. I was going to kind of get into those lessons after we went through everybody's strategies and sort of tie them all together. But, you know, you're totally right. Keep going. It, okay. It's a good, no, it's a good lesson. It's fine. It's fine. It's good. All right. And uh, yeah, we, we both think the same way, I think. So one, have it have more than one backup. Um, you can use the same program or different programs. Maybe different programs is good. Um, but also different locations is important, I, I think. So um, like I mentioned, you know, don't have uh, like w when, uh, when I was doing like corporate level backups here uh, or had, you know, so I was running a server and we actually had a technician and he would actually do the backups. The thing is he actually took, so he did it on tape. Now we're not even going to talk about tape. I don't even know if people still use tape. I think they do. I think oh, tape, definitely tape still, I think makes sense from a cost point of view is yeah. that, you know, digital tape, you, you can get pack a lot of data and it's relatively inexpensive. Yeah. But, um, he would actually take the backups from our server room and bring them to a room in another building. Why would you do something crazy like that? Well, if the building where all the data is stored burns down and don't laugh, it happens. Of course. Well, that's <laughs> or a meteor the hits it or something. If your backup is in the same place, well, too bad. You, you, you blew it because your backup is, is gone along with the original data. So if you can at all possibly uh, put your backup somewhere different whether it be in another building in another room uh someone else's house you can do this virtually i believe with crash plan dave um like don't you and pete um do you use crash plan for this well let's let, yeah let's go let's go back to bob right. on, on that or, um yeah or, or the other strategy is that you know the cloud is a different location too if i store sure. a backup in the cloud but i also store one locally that that's good too so i, I just wanted to cover He's in, he's doing a lot of best what, what I'll consider best practices is yeah. multiple backups in multiple locations. Yeah. Um, so no, that's all, all I want to add at this point here. We'll we'll dig in a little deeper. I think. But, yeah. No, it's totally right, and it's the crash plan thing. I really wanted to get into, especially the local uh, 
or the the personal use of crash plan the non-cloud use the non-subscription use because crash plan uh their business model is to uh have you buy a subscription that you uh use to then they they host storage for you and their software crash plan backs up your data to their cloud and and they manage that and if you need to Restore data, you can either do it with the app or you can actually do it with their web interface. Uh, and CrashPlan works really, really well. I've used it for years. Uh, they, uh, I, I will point out that their app is based on Java. Java, because of um, the Java browser plugin, Java has gotten a very bad rap in terms of security. The way CrashPlan does it, it's an app. So it's not being used in your browser and it there's no none of those security concerns exist. So what they do is totally fine. But Java is also kind of a memory hog and and it's certainly on Mac OS is not the most efficient way to do things. It's a great way to do things cross platform, which is why CrashPlan made that decision. They have been threatening for years that they are very, very close on a native Mac OS client. Uh, we have yet to see that come out. And I, I, I don't know why that is my, my guess is it's uh, they were real close about a year and a half ago. And then WWDC happened. And I feel like whatever changes Apple made with El Capitan might have blown their plans up. And so they had to go back to uh, at least one of their drawing boards. But in any event, crash plan, the software works fine on the Mac. I run it on all of mine without any issues whatsoever. CrashPlan is built to work with the cloud, but CrashPlan is also built to work with other computers running CrashPlan. And as you as you heard Bob mention, it doesn't sound like he pays for a CrashPlan subscription. The software is free. And if you install CrashPlan on two computers, you can point them at each other and use each other as your data store. And it really is pretty much that simple. You can even limit the amount of storage that any given client, if you will, uses on your computer. So it's very, very handy. And it's not just limited to your local network. As Bob pointed out, he backs up his mom's iMac, or rather I should say his mom's iMac backs itself up across the internet to Bob's Mac mini server. That's also running crash plan. So this is a very cool way to do exactly what you were talking about, John, with off-site backups that you manage. Uh, there's some there's some benefits here. The, the, the obvious one is you're saving money. I'm not convinced of that because you have to manage your own. I mean, Bob's managing his own Mac mini server and he's got to have storage attached to it. So maybe there's some cost savings in the crash plan uh, subscription being uh, excluded from the, the, the financial picture. But there's other things that Bob's doing uh, financially and time-wise managing this. Um, a second benefit, though, is proximity to backup data. Now, while Bob's mother is not close to her backup data, Bob is close to a lot of his. And when it comes time to restore gobs and gobs of data, downloading it all from the cloud is not necessarily the most efficient use of your time. If you have that data on a drive somewhere, that's very, very handy. And yeah, John, I, I, Pete and I, at the moment anyway, Pilot Pete, that is, uh, who I miss. I don't see him anymore. Um, but uh, he and I, 
uh, basically swapped drobos. We had some some uh, drobo units that we were using for local backups, and we attached we we put them at each other's homes, and we attached them to computers at each other's homes. And now I back up to my drobo at Pete's house, and Pete backs up to his drobo at my house. And the nice thing is, we're only you know whatever five miles apart or something. So if either one of us needs our data, well, just go on over and get it and bring it home. And there's our data. And you don't have to wait for the cloud to deliver it, which if you're using talking about hundreds of megabytes or hundreds of gigabytes, rather (laughs) hundreds of megs would be fine. Hundreds of gigs could take days. So, yeah, Uh, very good, Bob. Thank you for for that. uh, For that is a great little introduction into backup strategies. Good stuff. Um, We'll move on to Bill. Bill has some good backup strategy thoughts here and uh, and we'll 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 talk through this. He says my backup includes my computer time machine to a Drobo S carbon copy of a carbon copy cloner of the boot drive to an external USB drive crash plan to their cloud and various manual clones made over time when doing operating system upgrades. The rest of the family time machine or crash plan to USB flash drives for laptops, the small ones that are almost flush uh, and also crash plan to the cloud says, I don't particularly trust the time machine to the Drobo backup periodic file system corruption and don't particularly trust the Drobo or Drobo in general, but that's a whole other story. I'd love to hear that because I've had great luck with direct connect Drobos Um, carbon copy cloner until recently uh, I upgraded from a 240 gigabyte SSD to a 480. The drive I was backing up to was a 320 gig Western digital. That was the original boot drive for my Mac pro. Uh, not sure what the difference in specs is, but those old drives Apple included just keep going. Crash plan is not a complete backup on my computer. I think I'm four years in and almost uh, 12 terabytes backed up. Only I have only two megabits per second upload. It doesn't allow control over what gets backed up at first. So based off crash plans, published prioritization, I add content to be backed up strategically. Um, so yeah, this is, this is interesting. Uh, I, he and Bob are doing manual clones before OS upgrades. And I, that's a, I can't say that that's a bad idea. It's not part of my strategy, but I know like John Martellaro here at TMO does that. And it has saved his bacon uh, on more than once. Just making sure, I mean, I'm doing, I, I do, we haven't talked about our strategies yet, but I do clones every day. So if an OS upgrade, you know, craters me, I'm going back less than 24 hours, but it's interesting that he's doing them, you know, immediately before major OS upgrades. It's not a bad idea. I I can't, I can't fault that thoughts on, uh, on any of uh, this stuff from, from Bill here. Mm, No. Okay. Cool. All right. Um, Dan, Dan's got, I think this is a strategy and a question, right? So Dan says, uh, my main machine is my laptop because of travel, and I use Time Machine as often as possible. I now have BitTorrent synced to my desktop for my documents. I did it for my iTunes and Photos the hard way, basically re-importing stuff. I also occasionally run Carbon Copy Cloner and then boot from the clone to make sure it's all good. So far, so good. I also use Sync Folders Pro to copy stuff to my NAS server. Uh, using their notation, uh, which means all files. Oh yeah. He syncs all this stuff. Uh, I also have an external drive attached to the NAS and the NAS does its own weekly backups to it. 
I don't like backup software. I've had instances in the past with Windows where I used a backup program and a few years later I wanted to do a restore. I couldn't get the software to do it. My preference is a backup that is still readable without going through a restore. Anyway, I'm now thinking I'm over-engineered the whole thing. My question is, what do you recommend for backing up to a NAS? Uh, I've not really explored Carbon Copy Cloner. Can I have it do the same thing as Sync Folders Pro does? Or in other words, if you were going to remove something from this, what would you do? While I feel safe, it also feels way too cumbersome. And yeah, that that's you want your backups to work. Uh, he, he brings up a lot of good things here, but uh, you want them to work, but you, you want them to be as as friction free as possible in terms of your daily life. I like your concern about using backup software that backs up to its own proprietary container. And CrashPlan is most certainly that. In fact, in that instance where we talked about Pete having his stuff here, I can't read Pete's data. It's encrypted with Pete's key. And even though I possess his data physically here, there is no way I could read it without Pete's key. I mean, I could try hacking it, I, I suppose. Um, but, you know, they're really, really long keys, or at least I assume it's a really long key. Maybe Pete's outsmarted me and his key is only five characters long. So I'm going to be trying these, you know, 256 character keys and, and failing all day long. Um, I've got better things to do with my time, but it is important to note that that. This stuff, a lot of this stuff, in fact, most stuff with the cloud, you can control the key so that no one on the other end can uh, can decrypt the data. But he's right that if CrashPlan stops running on the Mac, we cannot read the data that's in there uh, without a, a working copy of CrashPlan somewhere. Uh, so uh, my thoughts on on Dan's strategy here. Yeah, I, I mean, Sync Folders Pro is is fine. I'm sure I don't use it, but uh, but I don't think it's it's bad. Um, Carbon Copy Cloner could certainly do the same thing and copy your files to your network drive and manage what stays there and what's removed and all of that stuff. So I don't I don't feel. I mean, you could change if it were me. I would be using you know Carbon Copy Cloner only because I know it. Uh, but I like your idea of, of keeping things in a format that's always readable. And Time Machine does that too. It, it, the, the way it manages its backups, it's all always just readable. If you mount it in the finder, you don't need to run Time Machine to restore from it. So in terms of backing up the NAS um, or backing up to your NAS. Yeah, I guess. I mean, that's what I would do. Thoughts on this, John? Uh, one thing that was mentioned here, which I want to just point out. So he mentioned synchronization. And the thing is that we, we kind of mentioned that I'm going to, I want to call synchronization a form of backup, but not technically a backup. You see where I'm going with this. And the, I'm just going to cover the services that I use right now. So I consider all of these uh, more sync solutions and the backup solutions. So they can back up and that would be things like Google drive, OneDrive, Dropbox and iCloud drive, which sure. are the, the four that I currently use right now. Um, most of them free, though I do pay for iCloud. Um, I'm going to call a sync solution something that has the data stored locally for you, but also it is stored in the cloud somewhere as well. And the two synchronize. That's mm. and and I use that uh, to complement uh, the other backups that I do. Um, 
Also, because sometimes I want to access that data no matter where I am, which you can't do, of course, if it's stored locally, unless you network your hard drive, which I don't know if you want to do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, in theory, you can if you're running OS 10 server and you want to share your drive. But uh, I we talked about what happened with that with uh, on oh, the yeah, last the show. That, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You get hacked. So, yeah. oh, man. <laughs> so uh, but those are the four. Uh, what I'll call sync services that I use. They, I, I know you use BitTorrent Sync as well, and and uh, and our listener just mentioned a sync uh, service as well. Well, so I just want to cover those as. Yeah, his is just for syncing folders to um, right to two fe- effectively local places. Um, can either be direct attached or or network attached. Uh, but yeah, I mean it's it's syncing nonetheless, and and Carbon Copy Cloner would would essentially be doing the same thing. I mean it 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 lets you do that sync. Um, it, what what you lose with a standard sync is the ability to go back in time. If you have overwritten your own data and then you clone that with a standard sync or a standard clone whatever was overwritten on your original drive is now overwritten on your clone. That said, carbon copy cloner has what it calls its safety net where you can set uh, a, a certain size and it will set the safety net to that size. And anytime something is overwritten, it stuffs it off in the safety net until it hits either X number of days or X number of, of gigabytes. And then it flushes it out. So you, you do have, as they call it a safety net. But, but yes, it's, and I mean, it, it starts to blur the lines between syncing slash cloning and, um, and, you know, backups or incremental backups, uh, or versioned backups, I guess is the right term. And, and, um, BitTorrent sync does some level of versioning too. It's, it's a little harder to, to get at, but it's there. If, if things get really foobar, you can, you can get there. So, yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting stuff. It, it, when you back up, do you back up to your NAS, John? Uh, I do Time Machine backup to it. Yes. Okay, yeah. So, all right, yep. Uh, do I do? Hmm. Yeah, I think that's really about it as as far as uh backups and. And I store my media. Uh, yeah, I'm just the, the major things I do with like Synology. One is, yeah, it's a time machine destination for two machines. Okay. And then, then yeah, I store my uh, <clears throat> videos and my music on there. Sure. That's really the the major things that, that I use the Synology for at this point. I, one thing I like that, that Dan talked about was that he has its NAS back, he has his NAS back itself up to a USB drive that's connected directly to the NAS and most uh, NAS drives will do this. Certainly the Synology will, I believe the Drobo will too, the Drobo, like the, the, the network version, the five N and, uh, and this is something to think about. If you've got data that's only stored on your NAS, certainly if you have backups there from other computers, well, that's no big deal uh, because those are your backups. You don't necessarily need to back those up, but if you have data that is primarily on your NAS as its its sole or, or primary source, you probably want to back that up somewhere. And CrashPlan can be used to do that. You can install CrashPlan on your on your Synology and on your 
your Drobo. I've done it on both. Uh, I believe QNAPs, NAS, <clears throat> excuse me, support that too. Uh, but they also have built-in software that would let you do exactly what Dan's doing here. And that's backup to a USB drive that's, that's connected. I also have uh, Synology has software that will back up to another Synology, which may seem a little obsessive, but, uh, but why not? Right. If you've got uh, another Synology disc, you can have them or another Synology disc station unit. You can have them back up to each other. So it, which is handy. No, actually I haven't done that in a while. I should. So there's some content that I have on my Drobo. That's not on the Synology. Hmm. I haven't done this in a while. I should actually set, uh, explore what they have or set up a script. I mean, the one thing you can do very simply. Uh, so the Synology has the ability to mount a network share mm-hmm. and the Drobo is a network share. So I actually can use the, uh, the Synology software, mount my Drobo as another drive and then drag stuff from the Drobo over to the Synology. Um, yep. Yeah. yeah, I'm actually not following my own rules that... Uh, <laughs> For some content, it's only in one place, and that's on the Drobo, and uh, I haven't thought about. I should really automate that, because I, I just do it when I think about it. Yeah, and, <clears> and, <throat> and you know, our, <laughs> our philosophy here is if your data exists in only one place, assume it does not exist and, and process that. And if you're okay with your, that particular bit of data not existing, then you're fine. No need to back it up. But if it only is in one place, it's gone. It, because it will go away at some point for some reason. The question is only when. So, um, all right. Well, well let's um, let's let's go to Ken here, and because uh, he's got a, a tip, and then I want to kind of talk through our our strategies, um, and and we'll we'll get there. But let's do let's do Ken first. Ken says, uh, I use Carbon Copy Cloner to make a clone, not a disk image to a USB external drive connected to my three terabyte Apple airport time capsule. So if my internal drive on my iMac failed, I could connect the USB drive directly to my iMac so I could boot from it. It worked, but I had a hard time booting from it and had lots of app libraries rebuilt. The wonderful tech support from Carbon Copy Cloner pointed out that there are permissions related errors when backing up to a NAS or specifically when cloning to a NAS. Uh, And he's totally right about that. Uh, when you are doing a local clone, permissions are typically preserved in a way that that drive will then be bootable. And and things like Carbon Copy Cloner and Super Duper are aware of this and manage for it. Uh, Bob's, uh, what are we on? Ken, sorry. Ken's idea was, well, it's, you know, uh, uh, backing it up across the network is better. And he's right. Except when you're doing a clone, I do like the idea of hanging the USB drive off of your router because, like you said, it makes that drive instantly accessible to you uh, by plugging it into whatever computer you want. You don't have to do some over the network restore. But, yeah, you're going to have massive permissions issues when doing that because the permissions are not going to necessarily be preserved in the right way. Uh, So, yeah, bear that in mind. I'm sure I'm not sure what you had to do to get that fixed. Maybe, maybe running, I guess there's still a way to run that permissions repair from the, uh, from the recovery volume. So maybe that's what you did. I don't know. I'd be curious what the steps were that you took to, to resolve that, but it's not surprising that 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 would be the issue. So yeah, make sure that whatever way you are doing a clone, it can preserve those. 
And I, I think all of these in aggregate uh, bring up the point that, hey, you need to test your backups because things are only as good as your ability to restore or recover from them when disaster strikes. And if you don't know how or your backup method is such that it does not recover or restore in the way that you expect or the way that you will need, it's not as worth uh, worthwhile to you. It doesn't mean like in Bob's I don't know why I keep calling you Bob Ken in Ken's case, he was able to get it recovered, uh, which is good. The data was there. It just wasn't quite tweaked the way he needed it. But, uh, but that wasn't exactly what Ken wanted to have to go through in that scenario. So test your backups, test your restores. Uh, I, you know, I, I always say once a quarter, try restoring a file from your backups and certainly any new backup method that you do. Like if you're setting up a new clone, if you're, even if you're moving from say carbon copy cloner to super duper, whatever, uh, boot that clone right away after it finishes. There's no harm in doing this. Just boot it up. Did it work? Yep. All right, great. Now boot back to the main one so that you're, you're sure you're doing that. And, uh, and then let the clone continue, you know, on whatever schedule you want. But, um, but yeah, you've got to you've got to test those backups before disaster strikes because that's the last um, the last time that you want to be kind of dealing with. Oh, hey, if only I had set my backup settings a little bit differently, things would be a lot better right now. You want to have that answer. You want to have that confidence going in. Mm-hmm. If only Woody had gone to the police. None of this would ever. Uh, that's what I'm saying, man. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hey, I want to before we talk about our backup strategies, John. I want to talk about our sponsor, which is Fat Cat Software at fatcatsoftware.com slash MGG. Fat Cat Software is the maker of power photos. And man, if, uh, if there's one piece of software that you need, if you're an Apple Photos user, it's power photos. Photos is fine. In fact, it's, it's great. And it works with, you know, iCloud Photo Library and photo stream and all of that. So if you want to have this Apple centric photos experience, you have to use their photos app and it's, it's not bad. It's got some quirks, but what it's missing is a lot of different features. Uh, and that's where power photos steps right in. It, it's a sister product to photos. You can use it to manage multiple libraries. It has its own photo browser, its own searching you can import photos, as I mentioned, when I was moving my dad's photos in from from uh, his Windows machine, it pulled all of his folders in as separate albums, which photos would not do. So he was able to retain all of that data in a way that made sense to him. Uh, and Power Photos just did it. Uh, you can merge libraries together. If you've got multiple libraries, you can copy photos back and forth between them, or you can take a single library and split it up into pieces with power photos and it will manage all of this for you. It's got a great duplicate photo and eliminator. Uh, and, uh, if you still have iPhoto libraries, it will pull those in for you. So very, it'll, it'll manage, you know, all of that importing and everything. If you go to fatcatsoftware.com slash MGG and then use coupon code MGG, you get 20% off of Power Photos. Here's the thing. Power Photos is the successor to iPhoto Library Manager, also made by Fat Cat Software. You can guess 
Power Photos is the sister product to Photos, iPhoto Library Manager, the sister product to iPhoto. You get both of those in the same license, one price, both products. They assume that if you're a Photos user, you might have used iPhoto in the past. And certainly if you're still an iPhoto user, you're going to wind up using Photos in the future. You're going to need both. Here they are. Just take them. Coupon code MGG gives you 20% off of that combined license. Check it out. Fatcatsoftware.com slash MGG. Our thanks to Fat Cat and Power Photos and all the folks over there for sponsoring this episode. All right, John. So um, since I'm blabbering, I'll just I'll I'll talk through my backup strategy. Uh, it involves Carbon Copy Cloner, as I mentioned, to clone. Uh, I believe all of my computers are now being cloned to direct attached USB disks, uh, and that happens every day. I have it uh, happen on my work computer at uh, at about 7 o'clock p.m. so that it happens right after I've left my desk most days. I have the iMac here in the studio and the iMacs at the house, including the one Lisa uses. They back up at about 4 a.m., which is a time that even if we're up really late, we're probably asleep by then. So, uh, so they back themselves up. One thing I like about Carbon Copy Cloner, it sends me an email when it finishes each day, whether it succeeded or not. And I've gotten in the habit of seeing those emails. And if I don't see them, I think I'll notice. Uh, in fact, I have noticed in the past when, you know, if it just stops running, if the engine stops running or something, if there's something wrong with the computer, I don't get the email. I know. Uh, and of course, if there's, if it does run and there's a problem, I know about it. So that that's the clone. Uh, I do use Time Machine. Uh, none of my computers back up Time Machine to direct attached disks. They all back up across the network to a variety of disks. I have, as I mentioned, a Drobo 5N that stores quite a few of my computer's backups. I have an old, old first-generation Apple Time Capsule that uh, I only use as a, um, a Time Machine store. The radios are off on it. Unfortunately, about two days ago, it started blinking yellow telling me that the internal drive is failing. So I'm probably just going to pasture that device. And by pasture, I mean, you know, <laughs> recycle it responsibly. I don't think I'm going to put another drive in it. There's no reason to. Um, and then, and, and some of them go to a, uh, a Synology disk station that I have here and I've carved off some time, uh, some space on that. In fact, I have a uh, USB disk attached to my, uh, disk station. It's actually a, a USB attached Drobo that uh, that I use for time machine backups. So it, it points things there and, and those work fine. So that's my time machine. I use Backblaze on my Mac in the office. Um, I, I, like, I, I use it because I wanted to start uh, testing it, I don't know, a couple of years ago. I really like the way Backblaze works. Uh, it works it, it's a, it's limited in that it really only backs up your Mac. It won't back up like network attached servers or anything like that, but, uh, but it's very clean and very smooth. And so I back up using Backblaze to their servers. It's a subscription I pay for. And then uh, I use CrashPlan on most of my other Macs backing up either to CrashPlan server. I do have an account with them and, uh, and, or to, like my NAS or Pete's house. In fact, most of my computers back up to two places. They back up to Pete's house and also to crash plan. And then, yeah, my mom's iMac down in Connecticut backs up to using crash plan to, to my disk station here. So I believe, Oh, well, and then there's um, the syncing that I do with carbon copy cloner. Uh, 
my photos library and my music library. I have once a day, I guess photos maybe is only once a week, but, uh, but my music library is daily and carbon copy cloner syncs those files over to a specific location on my disc station for two reasons. Number one, it's a backup. And number two, my Sonos and my uh, disc stations, DS audio and DS photo and uh, apps read from that. And actually Plex also reads from that. So I have copies of my photos and music libraries over on my disc station that are seen by all of the various engines that are running on my, uh, on my disc station so that that content can be shared, but I'm not reading it or writing to it from across the network in a live fashion during the day. I could, there's nothing wrong with that, but I like this two stage approach because it gives me, um, you know, it gives me a, a backup that's happening. So, so that's my, uh, that's my strategy. I'm sure I'm missing something in there. How about you, John? Uh, I'll add a few uh, few things here. Okay. <clears throat> All right. So the backups I do. So I have two two uh, main machines here, at least Macs. Uh, so MacBook Pro and Mac Mini. They both have SSDs. Uh, I back up to both of them, uh, creating a clone with Carbon Copy Cloner. Uh, one of them because the drive is always attached. I schedule it for. Uh, in the wee hours and it does it daily. Sure. Um, and as Dave mentioned, I think, but, uh, another feature of a lot of backup software is that if something fails, it'll, it'll email you and say, Hey, this didn't work. Uh, what I do on my other machine, because I don't always have the backup drive plugged in is I actually have a carbon copy cloner run a script. And if it happens to try to run it, uh, that I do less frequently, uh, it'll send me an email saying, Hey, your backup drive wasn't attached. I'm like, Oh yeah, I got to run that backup. Uh, both of those also run Time Machine to the Synology. Um, but I wanted to introduce some some other aspects here, just of uh, making sure that your data. Um, well, we did mention Drive Pulse, so I run that uh, also. And I guess I just want to mention or, or try to bring up some some technologies that will help you not use, uh, not lose your data. Okay. So one of those, and it's implemented on both of the NASs that I have in different formats here, but one thing you may want to talk about, uh, if you don't want your data to disappear, so as we, we mentioned, you know, drives uh, will fail. Um, but there's ways to kind of reduce your risk. And, and one on the drive side is by using something called RAID. Um, different vendors introduce it uh well, hey, hang on before you before you lose that. Let's stick with the backup strategy, and then and then we'll 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 go there. I, I just want to stay with the strategies right. here. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's pretty much. Uh, so that's my basic backup strategy for the Macs, um, for the iDevices. Uh, it's both backing up to a. Uh, so two things. So one is a uh, backup using iTunes, uh, and that will back up your iOS device to a. Uh, Local copy. Uh, I also do an iCloud backup of my iOS device devices, uh, and then the other thing that I do, and this is this is kind of neat. Um, SanDisk. Uh, I use that to do backups of my iOS devices as well, and that does two things. So one, it'll back up the photos, um, and actually, a thing that I do have, I'll, I'll get a link for it. Um, they actually gave me something new, which is which I think is really cool, Dave. Uh, I didn't have time to mention it in. Uh, 
cool stuff found, but I'm going to mention it now because it's part of my backup strategy. And so they make a, uh, a case now that has the memory embedded in it. They used to, and they still make devices that'll plug into the lightning port and do a backup, but this is a, this is a combination product. So one, it's a case that has uh, three different memories. I think they gave me the 128 gig. So it's a case where once you, once you plug your phone into it, uh, you now have 128 gigs of extra memory. Um, so that's pretty cool. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll find the link to that product. Uh, their software, software will also back up uh, your contacts from your iOS device and one other thing. Uh, and it's the software that they offer with, with most of their memory products. So I, I love their stuff. The, the other cool thing about this particular case, Dave, is that you can also put a battery on it. So it's a memory and battery case. <laughs> Um, and the battery really has nothing to do with memory, but huh. it does pr- provide backup power. I like that. That's pretty good, man. Huh. So, um, yeah, I want to cover my iOS device. And then the, the other thing that I also do is that uh, uh, when I plug an iOS device into my Mac, Dropbox will come up and say, hey, you want to copy your photos? So I back up my photos from my iOS devices in uh, multiple ways, just like I do uh, with my desktop machine. Yeah, no, that's it. I'm glad you brought that up because um, things like Google Photos will do the same thing uh, either on device or from your Mac, right? It'll it'll back up when it sees it, but it'll also um, back up if you run the app on your iOS device. Flickr will do the same thing on iOS. The Mac uploader has gotten a little weird, uh, or it's actually it's not weird. You just have to pay for it. Uh, but uh, and and Amazon, if you're a Prime member, you can do photos that way too. But, uh, nice. but yeah, Google Google Photos is a is a good one to do your uh, your photos. But Dropbox, the app on iOS, will back up your photos to uh, to Dropbox as well. The, the the reason I well, so Dropbox uses whatever storage you have at Dropbox for your photos. Google Photos will back up your photos essentially for free if you allow them to do some level of compression. And part of that compression is them scanning your photos, not for creepy purposes, but for your purposes, similar to the way that Apple does it. Although they might use it, uh, Google might use it for creepy purposes because, you know, it's Google. Uh, but, uh, But so you can do things like search for, you know, vehicles. And it just knows and can show you all of your vehicles. And you can search for animals or cats. And it will show you all the pictures that you have of cats. It's, it's actually very, I mean, it, it is a little creepy, but it's kind of, kind of cool. So, uh, so yeah, I, Google photos, that's a good one. And then um, Brian Monroe in the chat room asked me, do I also use things like Dropbox for not just my iOS devices, but, uh, but for other things. And I do, um, I, I sync all of my data files with uh, either Dropbox or BitTorrent sync. It, it's, it sort of goes the, different files are in different places. I don't consider that a backup, although it certainly is in the, in that if my, you know, if my uh, computer, either my iMac or my laptop just dies, that data is somewhere. And if I connect my computer back to that or a new computer to that, it's just going to sync that data down. So yeah, I do use those and, and I don't think of them as backups, but they, they certainly are, you know, another thing, that's kind of a backup, uh, but really is, you know, more just cloud storage is your IMAP email. You know, it, it used to be, 
if you stored, and this is still the case, if you store all your email on your computer in the on my Mac folder that mail calls it, uh, and you lose your computer and it's not backed up, that data is gone. But anything that's stored on the server is always on the server until you tell it to delete it. So you get, again, some level of backup, but there's a difference, like you said before, John, between syncing and backup, because syncing will, uh, the difference there is backups will protect you against human error, like you deleting or changing a file unintentionally, whereas syncing will accept your changes as gospel. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, in, in many cases, that's what you want, but you also want protection and, and that's where I see the difference between the two. So, now, some things I use to modify my backup experience. So one, um, time machine um, is a bit too uh, active for my taste. Mm. So there's something called time machine editor. Normally, time machine runs once an hour. That's too frequent for me. Though actually, you know, I, I would say it was a pain more when I had a rotational drive because time machine plus rotational drive tended, uh, at least for us in the past, tended to result in kind of choppy network performance because the computer was trying to do too much. I don't find the pro- a problem as much with uh, SSD. Um, but so I still like Time Machine Ed- Editor because uh, I think I set it for every four hours. And then actually for another machine, I actually just set it for once a day. Right, yeah. <laughs> Near the time it does the Carbon Copy Cloner, the machine that I don't use uh, as often, the the... And another tool is you may get to a point sometimes where you're making a backup and you're like, why is this taking so long? And I found this useful as well. Omni Disk Sweeper. And there are other tools, but that, that's our, our old favorite and it still runs. It is. But um, <laughs> Omni Disk Sweeper has shown me, it's like one time a backup was taken way longer than I thought it should have. And then I looked and it actually, I found where Steam stores the games that you download from them. And it, was backing up this, you know, 20 gigs that I didn't know it was, it was taking up after I installed the game. And I'm like, Oh, well, I, I want to exclude that. I don't need to back that up every time. Right. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a good point is using something, knowing where the large files are that you don't want to have backed up, uh, and then actively excluding them and time machine lets you do that. Most backup software does, uh, you just pick, I don't, you know, don't, add this to the backup or add this other stuff, but not this. And Omni disk sweeper is a great way to sort of get vision on that. Like, Oh, here's some monstrous stuff. I, I don't need to fill up my backup drives with what in, in this case with your steam stuff is effectively temp files, right? It's, it's replaceable data. In fact, talking about iOS backups, uh, app vendors actually have to distinguish when they store data on iOS, whether this is, user data that is irreplaceable or whether this is retrieved data that is replaceable. For example, our Mac geek gab app will back up all of your settings and your bookmarks and all of that stuff, but it's not going to back up the media files that you've downloaded because presumably you can redownload those, right? Those. And so we had to, we actually got dinged for that. Uh, on one of our earlier submissions, we had been backing that stuff up or we hadn't been marking that stuff as not to be backed up. And Apple was like, hey, well, wait a minute. You don't need to be filling up people's backups with this stuff. And we're like, oh, yeah, you're totally right. So we just marked it as, as cache files. But not everything, not every piece of backup software is smart enough to know what should be treated as cache files. And obviously, this Steam stuff wasn't, uh, wasn't something Apple thought of for Time Machine. So, yeah. Um, 
I want to talk about another piece of backup software that I've been a fan of for years, but I have never integrated into my um, into my workflow. But but I want to talk about it nonetheless, just to make everyone aware. And that is Arc A R Q. We've talked about it on the show before. It's arqbackup.com. And uh, this is a, well, I'll call it a platform agnostic piece of backup software. You buy the software from Arc, and then you choose where you want to store your data. And it can store to things like Dropbox, OneDrive, Google Drive, Amazon Cloud Drive, Amazon S3, Amazon Glacier, uh, one, I think uh, Google's nearline storage, right? And a lot of these have free storage and, and you can put things in different spaces. So it, it's cloud backups managed by your Mac stored wherever you want it to be stored. And, uh, and you can have it stored. I mean, you can have it back up to any one of those sort of service providers, but you can also have it back up over, SFTP or something. If you just have somewhere else that you want to save it to, it's like I said, it's, it's, it's destination agnostic. Um, you can have it back up everything or just the files you want. Um, it, because th the makers of the backup software are not the providers of the cloud. The makers of the backup software have no vested interest in choosing which of your files should be excluded. A lot of cloud storage, like I said before, with Backblaze, right? They won't let you back up your NAS volumes. And that's because Backblaze is providing you unlimited storage. But they don't want people to abuse that. And so they've limited what they do. And they make it very clear. It's not like they're being sneaky about this. But clearly, the decision is made because they don't want to have to store everyone's you know, network data just because you bought a subscription for one Mac. And I get that. Arc doesn't have that incentive um, so it's a different thing. It's a little bit geekier. You have to manage it yourself, uh, in terms of getting your service set up, but, but the software is fantastic and, uh, you know, it'll, it'll back up your network drives and your external drives. Um, and it, and it will preserve your backups as long as you wanted to preserve them. Again, it's not, there's no vested interest on their part to say, Oh, we got to expire that old data because otherwise our, our data, you know, our data center is going to fill up. It's not their data center. It's whatever data center you want. It could be yours. It could be anybody else's. So I, I, I really like arc. I, like I said, I've never, I've never moved to it. Uh, I've tested it here and there. I've never moved to it, but, um, but it's worth, it's worth noting here in this deep dive because, um, just because it's so flexible, it truly is, you know, a, a nice geeky solution for this. Have you ever, have you ever messed with Arc, John? No. Okay. All right. Well, maybe you will someday. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I just wanted to, just wanted to throw it in. It's all good stuff. All right. Um, let's see, where are we here? I think, I feel like we've gotten through most of this. Is there any... Software we haven't talked. We do have a question from Bob uh, that I, I want to make sure we get to before we go. Um, okay. But so I did. The, if we could, though, I do want to mention. Yeah, I want to mention a few things about how you can prevent bad things from happening. Sure. Or where you should go if bad things start to happen. Yeah. So one, as I mentioned before, that we, we dove uh, into it pretty deep when we talked about Synology. But just in the, in the spirit of not having a single point of failure. Um, if you can at all implement RAID, 
uh, on your NAS, uh, you should. Now, there's different, the, the, the ones you should know about, like, so Drobo actually makes it pretty easy. Drobo just kind of magically does it in the background. The, the most you can say is uh, do single drive or dual drive redundancy, which means, okay, protect against, uh, protect against one drive dying in that it can reconstitute what was on that drive. Or you can say, use, uh, you know, give me dual drive, in which case if two drives fail, it can still rebuild uh, the system. Um, Synology is a little different. Um, they have something called Synology Hybrid RAID, and actually I'm going to test that out here and that I have a additional drive on the uh, on the way. So right now I'm implementing what um, I guess we call RAID 1, which is that I, I now have it set up with two drives, one drive being a copy of the other. And that's good, and that's called also called RAID 1 for a lot of people. Um, yeah, so you, you have, um, and, and this is a tangent I was hoping we didn't get into, but we're here, so we're going to keep it brief, but I'm going to ask you a question um, and set your expectations. So you have two Synology, two drives in your Synology currently. And mm-hmm. with this expansion unit, you're going to add one or I know it has two in the expansion unit, two bays. You're going to mm-hmm. add one, correct? I'm going to add one drive that's larger than the two that are already there, because that's kind of the rules that you have to play by when you're doing their, right. their hybrid raid. So how big are the three drives, the two old ones and the one new one? Well, the two old ones are uh, threes. And then the sure. one that I'm having, uh, that should be arriving uh, any minute now uh, is a four. Okay. So it's going to see that four as a three because it has no other yeah. four to match to it. But the moment that you add another four, the extra storage on drive number three will be used as would all of the storage on drive number four. So, right. Yeah. But now adding this additional one should give me uh I think uh, uh, what we'll call parity. Well, you still right? have, I mean, you have, it's, it's one disc fault tolerance is what you have currently. It'll be better once I add this additional drive. Um, no, you'll just have more storage. I mean, you, you currently have one disc fault tolerance. If one of your drives in your raid dies, it, it, your data is preserved. And, and that will be true with the third one as well. It, if one of them drives, one of them dies, it will be preserved, but you will add three terabytes of storage to your raid right now you have you have three terabytes of storage available amongst the two drives one is essentially being treated as the parity drive when you add your fourth when you add your third drive which is a four terabyte drive but it's only going to see three your storage will go from three terabytes to six even though you have 10 terabytes of storage available three of it is one of it is extra one terabytes extra three of it is parity so, yeah, I mean, it's the same one disk fault tolerance, but you're adding, you're effectively doubling your storage. And right. then, and then if you do it again, you'll add uh, almost five terabytes to, uh, to mm-hmm. the thing. So, yeah, that's good, man. All right. So from a hardware point of view and, and various NAS vendors offered, offered different types of RAID or pure RAID, uh, which we talked about before. Don't need to talk about it again. Um, but I want to mention some software that you may want to use if if your data does, if you are having problems with your disk and it's reporting errors or you, you're trying to read files and they seem corrupt and stuff like that, there are some pieces of software. I listed a few here. You may have some others, Dave, uh, that you can use to try to repair the drive and maybe get the data in a state where you can pull it off before uh, the drive dies. Sure. Uh, one that I like, uh, and we love these guys. They make a lot of really nice products. We've mentioned some of them already, but uh, ProSoft Drive Genius. Um, is one piece of software that 
that I typically go to whenever I have hard drive problems. That's the first place I go. Um, and they have all sorts of tools to uh, test various aspects of your drive. Uh, another one that people like, I've never really gotten into it, Dave, but uh, Alsoft Disk Warrior is one that a lot of people swear by, saying, hey, you know, Disk Warrior was the only thing that could uh, rebuild my drive so I could, yeah. I could pull the, the data off. Um, and then there's another one. If you're just trying to recover data that's screwed up and not do a whole bunch of other things here, then uh, ProSoft also makes something called Data Rescue Mac. Uh, and that will try to, you know, especially if like, you delete things and all the things. When you delete something, uh, depending on the type of drive and how you delete it, it may not actually be gone. Mm. They're, they're, it may still be, be recoverable, and that's what something like ProSoft Data Rescue does. Um, so those are the pieces of... Do you have any other pieces of software that you typically use, Dave, when, you know, when you're having trouble no, th- with those your drives? Are, those would be, it. I mean, I, you know, I would use disk utility because it's right there and always at my fingertips, but, but no, oh, right, it, right. it would either be disk warrior or drive genius. Um, and I, I sort of follow my gut on which one I feel like would be better. Um, I, 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 for a long time, I trusted disk warrior above all else. Um, and now with the work they've done, drive genius is sort of right up there. I wouldn't say that it's uh, surpassed disc warrior in terms of repairs. It does some things like defragging and, and various other things that disc warrior just doesn't do. But, uh, in terms of repairing a drive, I, I would basically trust either one of them. Um, you know, the problem is when a drive is, is dying or, um, you can't really, Backing it up at that point, like shooting a clone of a drive before you start messing with it might actually mess it up more. So you have to really stop and think, how good are my backups of that up to this point? Um, Because it's possible, even with Disc Warrior, which I trust, uh, it's totally possible to to make it worse. You you know, you don't know how bad the, um, the stuff is. And Disc Warrior's got some real protections in there it'll show you it'll say hey man here's what uh here's what this is going to look like when we're done is this what you want and and you can you know say yay or nay before you commit but um but you know you have the option of really making things worse it doesn't happen often but it is a possibility so you but backing it up if especially if the drive is physically dying uh can you know maybe isn't the right choice at that moment I don't know. Mm. Yeah. So, um, so, but yeah, I would trust, I would trust either one of those these days. That's good stuff. Yeah. Now there may be a point where your drive is dead and you realized. So a point I want to mention here, we, we kind of touched on it before, but try to do a restore from your backup solution before it becomes like a panic moment. And you find out that you either didn't back up what you thought you were backing up or you didn't know how to restore properly or you stored from the wrong place. So, <laughs> um, but there are some services. So if your, if your drive is totally dead and maybe you found out your backup isn't what you thought it was, there are services. Uh, the one I think the most famous is drive savers is one. And another one that I'm aware of, uh, ProSoft offers a service now. Um, they do everything. They do. Uh, but they, they offer a service called ProSoft Data Rescue One. And so th- these guys have, you know, special, you know, especially for a hard drive, uh, you know, they have special clean rooms and, and all sorts of magic tools that will do their very best to retrieve data from a, uh, 
a drive that's no longer, work, no longer working. Now, I had a situation. I'll just men- mention this. Sometimes the drive may not be dead, Dave. Mm. I actually had this happen. So this was a drive that I got years ago, and I, it, it was kind of neat. It was, I think, a verbatim drive or verbatim branded. And the cool part about it is that it had a little display on it that would show the amount of free space on the drive, and it was a, a smaller two-and-a-half-inch two drive, rotational. All of a sudden, you know, I would plug it in one day. It was, you know, USB connection and the drive, you know, the display lit up, but it was like click, 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 click. And I'm like, hmm, that's not good. Or I thought I heard a clicking or I heard some sort of noise and it just it didn't feel right. And, you know, I put it aside and didn't really pay attention. There's nothing critical on it. And then one day I'm like, you know what? Let me see if I can open this up. And I opened it up, took the drive. It was actually a Western Digital drive, put it in another enclosure. Ta-da! The drive electronics were fried. But the drive itself was fine because I could access it by putting it in another enclosure. So if you think your drive is dead, that, that may be one tip. Get, get something like um, uh, I, I wanna... universal drive adapter kit, oh, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Um, sometimes uh, your drive may not be dead. It may just be the electronics that are trying to talk to the drive that are yep. dead. So um, I want to rewind we... a little bit because you you said some you you, de- you described something differently than what it is, but you didn't. Um, anyway, ProSoft Data Rescue One is not a send it away service. ProSoft Data Rescue One is actually a do it yourself service. You buy oh. ProSoft's. It's a a hard drive uh, essentially that you buy from them that has um, all the software to do all the recovery and then copy what it finds onto this drive and you can buy them actually you can buy it as a usb stick and a 16 gig version all the way up to a you know one terabyte drive um and it's it's relatively uh uh, fairly priced i mean it's for the you know one terabyte drive it's 179 and it comes with the software license and all of that so it's much less expensive than sending your drive off, which can usually be in the many hundreds, if not low thousands of dollars. So, so that's the do it yourself thing. And then it's sort of a unique product in that way. Um, ProSoft does have the send it off and, and send it to the clean room thing. And they call that their data rescue center. Uh, so I just wanted to, okay, thank to you. yeah, I just wanted to clarify that because data rescue one is a very cool thing. And, and I feel like they're one of the few, if not the only person, the only company rather that does that for the Mac. So it's, uh, it's, it's good stuff. All right. Um, before we go, I want to, and I know we've been here for a little while, but I want to answer Bob's question because it is so relevant to this. And Bob writes, I have a 256 gig jet drive SD card installed on my 2013 MacBook pro Whenever I run Time Machine, it always excludes the jet drive. I've gone into Time Machine options, and I see that it's listed as being excluded. I want this SD card as part of my backup. When I click on it in Time Machine options, nothing happens. It is grayed out, and I can't select it to re-include it or de-exclude it. Any suggestions? Yeah. So here's the thing, Bob. Time Machine will back up your external drives. But Time Machine has some limitations. It will only back up to an HFS Plus volume, and it will only back up from HFS Plus volumes. Now, the first part of that is mostly true. When you're backing up across a network, it can actually create its own HFS Plus volume as a disk image. So it can back up to things like your NAS drive that don't run HFS Plus. 
but in terms of local discs, it must be HFS plus. And in terms of backing up from a disc, it must be HFS plus that jet drive SD card typically will come formatted uh, as fat 32. They might even come NTFS, but, uh, but then, and then you have a problem where you can't write to them from your Mac either. You can only read, but, uh, but the jet drive almost certainly is formatted fat 32. So the way to change a disc format is to copy its data elsewhere. Use disk utility to change the format by reformatting it and erasing the entire disk and then copying all the data back. So it's a, it's a, a manual and time consuming process. Uh, and you have to be very aware of what you're doing because you don't have a backup of it because time machine hasn't been backing it up, but yeah, HFS plus is necessary for all the time machine stuff. So I just wanted to point that out before we, uh, before we wrapped up today, because I feel like it's, it was an important, there's a great timely question that, uh, that came in. So do we have anything else, John? I think we survived another deep dive, man. Yeah, I think we're good. I like these. It's good. It's nice just being able to dig in. So I feel like we're going to do one on the terminal. And I say again, because I think episodes like 36 and 37 or something 11 years ago were uh, deep dives on the terminal. But uh, but that's certainly coming. And we're going to do one on routers. You know that because um, you've asked for it. So all kinds of new stuff to test. I had a conversation with the folks from Eero yesterday. So I learned a whole lot more about that to dig into and really just a lot about the landscape. So it's good. Anything else, John? I got one thing for you, Dave. What's that? Feedback at MacGeekGab.com. I think you said feedback at MacGeekGab.com, my friend. Yep. And now it's turned into not two, but three things. Because you said feedback at MacGeekGab.com. <laughs> You can call us at 224-888-GEEK. And John, geek is? 4335. If you are a premium subscriber, you can email us at premium at macgeekab.com, and those will always get prioritized, uh, at least timeliness-wise, over the others. And it's uh, our way of saying thanks for your direct support. If you want to learn more about premium, of course, macgeekab.com is where you can go to learn all about that. And uh, you can find us on Facebook, MacGeekUp.com slash Facebook. That would be a, uh, it's a great place to have a conversation with all of your fellow MacGeekUp listening brethren. I want to thank all of you for listening. Uh, thank everybody who sent in stuff about this deep dive. John, thank you for putting the agenda together and all of that. This was a great one. Uh, I want to thank our sponsors, of course, Fat Cat Software, which I mentioned in... Uh, in the show at fatcatsoftware.com slash mgg gazelle at gazelle.com smile at smilesoftware.com otherworld computing at maxsales.com barebones software at barebones.com and casper mattresses at casper.com slash mgg coupon code mgg saves you 50 bucks have a great week folks make sure you enjoy yourselves John, I started this one. Any last words of advice? Um, do you have TSA pre-check? I do. Ah, good. Then what that means is at least this time around, Dave will not get caught. We gotcha.
Maynard.